reading beginning at verse 14 in chapter 4, and I'm going to read through verse 4 of chapter 5. So Hebrews 4, beginning at verse 14, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is beset or compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof, he ought as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. I'll read the next verse also because it, it also connects with that verse. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. Let's pray. Father, bless these few moments that we have together, and may they have an eternal impact on our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Here in this passage, we've just looked at, and last week we kind of concluded the fourth chapter, and we noted there that there are two admonitions given towards the end of chapter 4. The first is, let us hold fast our profession. And the second, coming at, in the last verse, in verse 16, let us therefore come boldly. So we're to hold fast that which we believe, and we are to draw near and come boldly unto the throne of grace. And this thought just continues on into chapter 5. And in chapter 5, we notice in these first verses some characteristics of high priests. We're talking about biblical uh, high priests here. And there are some things that are true, or must be true, of all high priests. And we're going to see this comparison made. Of course, he's going to be looking at the earthly high priests and then comparing them to Jesus Christ, our great high high priests. But here are things that are true of all high priests. And we note verse 1 of chapter 5, for every, so we're talking about all, all high priests, every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices. So the first thing we noticed here is that high priests and I know this is going to sound real basic, but they're human. Human. Human high priests. Uh, they are not angelic. We do not have angelic high priests. We have in here, in the scriptural uh, record here, human high priests. They are taken from among men. And how important is it for a, a high priest to be a human? Well, we've already seen 
um, some passages in Hebrews that have dealt with that. And the, the one I want you to turn to, or just turn back over a page, is chapter 2. Look at verses 17 and 18. In chapter 2, we see Jesus made a little lower than the angels. He was made human. He came as a man. We talk about the incarnation, God coming in human flesh. Why? Why? Every high priest taken from among men. All of these priests are human. And in verse 17, it says, Wherefore in all things, speaking of Christ, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. Jesus Christ was made like unto us. He took upon himself a human form. And why? It says that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. And for in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. So Jesus, our high priest, became a man. He could not have been a high priest had he not been human. High priests are taken from among men. Now, that's interesting. Now, prior to God's giving of the law and God's selection of Aaron and his family, his immediate family and his immediate descendants to be the high priest, prior to that, there were priests and there were sacrifices offered. And as you go through Scripture, we see that Abraham offered sacrifices, Isaac Jacob, um, all the way back, of course, beginning there in Genesis after the, after the fall of man, where God clothed Adam and Eve with the skins of animals. We see Cain and Abel offering sacrifices. And so there's sacrifices, and there is a priestly activity, and it does seem, at least um, from the indication given there in Exodus, where at the Passover, uh, the, the head of the household, the father was to take the lamb and to sacrifice it for the household. Every household was to have a lamb. And so we see um, throughout the Old Testament coming up to the Aaronic high priesthood, we see the head of the household or the father as the priest in the home. And also we see this passed on including the birthright blessing, the birthright blessing that went to the firstborn. The firstborn acted as an high priest for his family. And so we see that passed on. And this is, and that, of course, will give you a little bit more significance to um, how God looked at or God viewed Esau's rejection or his despising of his birthright. It wasn't just, well, he gets the lion's share of the, uh, you know, the inheritance. No, there was a spiritual priestly aspect of the birthright. But let's continue. So a high priest, a high priest must be a man. And we see here, every high priest taken from among men is ordained. That word ordained also means appointed. High priests are human, but high priests are also appointed. You just didn't decide, hey, I think for my occupation, I'd like to become a high priest. It fits my personality profile, and so I'm going to go to the Jerusalem College and and enter into a, a priest major, you know, with a minor in, you know, the scribal notation or something. 
and I will become a priest as an occupation. No, they were appointed. In fact, they were appointed by God. And we note here, every high priest taken from among men is ordained or appointed by God. Back in the book of Exodus, when God gave the law, the children of Israel have left Egypt. And what did God do? In Exodus chapter 28, God made a selection. And in Exodus chapter 28 and verse 1, it says, God is speaking to Moses. He says, And take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office, even Aaron and then his sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. So God appointed Aaron and his sons to be the priests. Aaron was of the house of Levi. And if you'll remember, the tribe of Levi had no land. When the land was divided up and they came into the um, promised land, the tribe of Levi was not given a tract of land. What were they given? They were given cities in every, um, in every other tribe. They had their cities and they dwelt in these priestly cities, or these Levitical, I guess you call them Levitical cities, but they were the, the Levites had cities, and they were, of course, all about the worship, the Jews' worship. And some of them, some of them took care of the tabernacle, some took care of the, you know, the offerings and the other things, these, the music, there were sons of Kohath, and there was um, Merari, and then there was the other one. There were these, these three different families out of Levi, and they took care of the worship, the whole aspects of the worship of the Jews. But here they were appointed. Now, Aaron, remember Aaron? Was Aaron the firstborn of his family? No. You think about the family of Aaron. We only know of three siblings. There are only three named. Whether Jochebed had any more children... And, but if you recall, and this is just a little bit of trivia to help you kind of keep things in perspective, Aaron is older than Moses. And do you remember how many years older than Moses he was? Aaron was three years older than Moses. So when Moses was born, Aaron was three years old. And we know that Miriam was older than Aaron because Jochebed would not have sent Aaron Aaron out to the side of the Nile River to watch his little baby brother in the little ark of reeds, you know, hiding Moses in the river. She would not have sent Aaron, a three-year-old, out there to watch and take care of his brother. He'd gotten sidetracked and they'd have lost Moses to the crocodiles. But anyway, so there was Miriam. She was older than both Aaron and Moses, but Moses was the youngest of the three. Aaron was three years older than Moses. But here, God made this specific choice of Aaron to be the high priest, Aaron and his son. Now, Aaron was the high priest, and his sons were the priests. There's only one high priest at a time. Now, in Exodus chapter 29, the next chapter over, 29 and verse 44, God is speaking to Moses, talking about his meeting in the tabernacle. Verse 43 says, And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. Verse 44, And I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. I will sanctify, remember that means to set apart, 
I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office. Aaron and his sons were the priests. And the priesthood was very selective. You could not be a priest in Israel if you were not of the family of Aaron. It was, it was a genetic lineage thing. It was, you could not be a priest if you were of the family of Moses, if you were of the tribe of Judah, or maybe you're even a descendant of, you know, some great king. The priesthood was selectively given to Aaron and to his sons and to his line. This was very exclusive. But the priesthood, again, is appointed by God. For every priest taken from among men is ordained, ordained or appointed. And who does the scripture say they're appointed for? You're appointed by God, obviously, but it says they're appointed for men. Appointed for men in things pertaining to God. Appointed for men or appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God. And what are those things that are pertaining to God? This verse tells us it has to do with offering gifts and sacrifices. You can lump those together, gifts and sacrifices, but offering for sins. And why is that? Because a high priest is a mediator. That word mediator. What does it mean? A mediator is one who goes between two parties. He's kind of a go-between. Maybe two parties aren't speaking, and one person goes between and talks to one side and tries to talk to the other and tries to bring them back on speaking terms. We've had all kind, we've had all this, all kinds of things like that throughout history. Um, Carter tried to bring Egypt and Israel together to meet, and in fact, he was somewhat successful because Egypt and Israel, or you know, Egypt recognizes Israel. Uh, Clinton tried to bring. Um, Yassar Arafat, that terrorist, and Israel together, and he failed. And, you know, there's this conflict. But, and presidents, I mean, George Bush, I mean, all these presidents have always tried to put their foot in and said, oh, maybe we'll be the one to bring peace in the Mideast. And what are they trying to do? Go between Israel and all of Israel's enemies and say, hey, guys, can't we just get along? And, uh, and they're not very successful. But a mediator, again, is one who goes between two sides that are at odds, um, what does a babysitter do? Why do we even have babysitters? Sometimes parents leave and they hire a babysitter or have a friend or a relative come over to do what? Really just to keep the peace, to be a mediator. And what happens when mom and dad are gone? Well, things that would never, ever happen while mom and dad are there just seem to happen when mom and dad are gone. And you know, kids fight over toys. Who'd have thought? Or, you know, they, I was first, no. I, and, and so what does the babysitter do? They, they, they're a mediator. They try to keep the peace, you know, for the next few hours until mom and dad get home and they can deal judgment. Um, but here, a mediator, a mediator is one that goes between. So the priest, every high priest is ordained for men in things pertaining to God. And what's the problem that they're dealing with? The problem that the priest is dealing with is man is sinful. Here's the problem. Offerings and sacrifices must be made on behalf of men for God. High priests are mediators. And they, 
A mediator is one who deals with differences between two parties. A mediator, think about a mediator, it's one who can see both sides. And a mediator must be impartial. If a mediator is not impartial, you ever think about that? If a mediator is not impartial, they seem to be siding with one party than the other. What happens? The other party says, forget it. I'm pulling out of these talks. I, I, this isn't fair. You're not seeing my side. You're just trying to get me to make concessions to the other side. And so a mediator you know, sees both sides. They're impartial. And in fact, in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 20, there's an interesting statement made about a mediator. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 20. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one. A mediator is not a mediator of one. But God is one. Do you know what that verse is saying? Maybe you never realized this before, but it says a mediator is not for one party only. A mediator can't just be one-sided. A mediator is not of one only. He, he, he comes between both sides. The thing is, though, when we talk about a priest being a mediator between God and man, we have to realize that man doesn't have a case. We don't have a case. We're 100% in the wrong in this relationship. We're 100% wrong. And God is 100% right. And you know what? God is not going to give an inch. You say, well, what kind of a mediator? What's going on here? And this is the difference between when we think about human mediators and we think about you know, differences between uh, two human parties. Yes, usually mediation involves compromise on both sides. And okay, I'll give this. or I, Okay, I'll let go of that. And we'll, we'll get together and see how this relationship can proceed. A marriage is somewhat of a compromise, isn't it? Men, we say absolutely not. Well, that's what a single man says, okay? Um, but yet there, there are some compromises. And I think it's harder for the man than it is for the woman sometimes. You know, there's some things you have to, well, okay. I, 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 when I got married, I was really clueless on this, you know, coming to the middle thing. You know, I, I, here was this woman in my kitchen, and she was rearranging things. I mean, the knives go here at this angle, and the handles need to be this way. When you put them in the dishwasher, they go like this. And finally, she looked at me and says, get out of my kitchen. And I was like, your kitchen? Well, I guess I'm married. So, yeah, okay, I get it. <laughs> so that was, that, that, and you know, we all laugh, and those are, those are funny instances when you think way back when you're, when you're first married, you're getting used to that. It's, hey, listen, when you've lived on your own, everything goes your way. There's no conflict. It's a complete agreement. You always agree with yourself, and things go happily and merrily along. And then you get married, and all of a sudden, she doesn't think exactly like I do. And guess what happens? Sadly enough, some couples get in so much trouble that they have to come to a mediator. And guess what the pastor's job is? To sit down with couples and do marriage counseling. See, fortunately in our home, I'm the marriage counselor. So she sits down and listens to me and everything goes well, right? Now, now, okay, but a mediator, again, mediator goes between two parties. But the thing is, in our situation, God is 100% right and he is not going to budge. He is not going to fudge on his law. He's not going to be a little lenient. Okay, well, you know, yeah, 
You know, priest, you got a good point there about those humans. You know, I guess I've been a little a, a tough. No, that is not how God responds. God is perfectly just. He has no concessions to make. And you know what? A priest is not trying to justify men in the sight of God. He can't do that. Man is guilty. The priest is not working for a compromise. Well, God, if you just give a little, you know, man will give some and you can give some and we can be happy. God says, no, that's not how it works. The priest goes to God on our behalf. And what does he bring to God? He brings our gifts and our sacrifices. The priest goes to God on our behalf. And they don't come, they don't, a priest does not go before God with arguments, like an advocate or an attorney would argue, well, you know, here's why he did what he did. Yes, it was against the law, but he had good reasons for it, and God's sitting there listening and saying, well, let me think about that. No, that's not the way it works. The high priest does not come with arguments for man's behavior. Man is completely in the wrong, and God is offended. God is angry. And God must, his anger for sin must be propitiated. It must be satisfied. And so the priest is ordained for men on behalf of men in things pertaining to God. And what are those things that pertain to God? Those are the gifts and sacrifices for sins. The book of Job was written, it's considered the oldest book in the Bible. You say, well, how could Job be before creation? Well, Job, we believe, predated Moses. Remember, Moses wrote about creation under divine inspiration. But Job lived before Moses. And if you've got your Bible, which you should have, where's your Bible, young man? You bring your Bible to church so you can follow along. It'll help you stay awake and pay attention. Okay, I want you to see these things. So bring your Bibles to church. In Job, in Job chapter 9, I want you to read what Job says. Here's Job, he's suffering. He does not understand why this is happening to him. And he wants to know. He he wants to declare his case before God and say, you know, basically, I've been good. I've I've done all these things. Why am I being treated thus? Why am I in such great affliction? And in Job 9, note verses 32 and 33. Job says this, speaking of God, he says, For he is not a man, as I am, that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. Here's what, what, what is Job saying? God is not a man that I could meet him in court. I would like to meet God in court and argue my case. I am innocent. Of course, his friends are telling him, Job, nothing comes from nothing. Nothing ever could. So somewhere in your youth or childhood, you must have done something bad. Right? That's, that's in essence what they're saying. Job, you must have sinned. There's, you know, God does not allow these kind of things to happen to good people. Quit voicing your righteousness. Job, come on, out with it. 
Tell us what it is. Tell us that deep, dark sin that you're hiding in your heart. And here Job, and Job is, you know, you, what miserable friends you are. I'm not hiding anything. But Job desires, he says, I'd like, if God is not a man. I, I can't meet with him. I can't go to court with him. Therefore, he says, verse 33, neither is there any day's man between us that might lay his hand upon us both. Day's man. Now, that's an old English word. But what do you think it means? It means mediator. Mediator. He goes, neither is there any mediator between us that might lay hold on us both. One that can see both sides. I, I want to argue my case for God, but he's not here. He's not a man. And I have no go-between. I have no mediator. There was no priest. There was no go-between here. No attorney to argue on Job's behalf, so to speak. And this was Job's lament. Of course, Job did not understand what God was doing. And that's no fault of his own. God had not revealed it to him yet. But there, you see, see Job's concern? There's a, need for, there's a need for an advocate. There's a need for a mediator between man and God. And he must be human. High priests are mediators. And of course, 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5. Paul speaking to Timothy. He says this. For, did I say 1 Timothy 2.5? I did. I've got the wrong reference. But I can quote the verse. He says, For there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. This is verse 5. I was just, I had the, I wrote it down wrong. Oh, no, that is 2.5. I read the wrong verse. 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man. Who is that man? Christ Jesus. It's the man, Christ Jesus. Do you know that? He didn't say, you know, the second person of the Trinity. He makes note that he is a man. There is one mediator between God and man. He did not say the Virgin Mary. Okay? She is not a mediatrix, mediatress. What do you call it? No, she is not the mediator. There is one mediator, one, appointed by God, ordained for men, appointed for us, in things pertaining to God, one man, Christ Jesus. He is our mediator. Now, let's go on. Back to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5. In Hebrews chapter 5, there is one. who can, It says, Every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. And then we note the next verse. Who can have compassion who can have compassion on the ignorant 
and on them that are out of the way, or those that have gone astray, those who are being deceived. That's what, that, that's what those words mean. Who can have compassion? Here's another characteristic of all high priests. High priests are to have compassion. That word compassion, you look it up in the Greek, and you know what it means? It means to restrain passions. It means to restrain passions. In other words, a high priest must be one who does not blow his top. Think about it. Think about the high priest and anybody who deals with people. Parents, as you deal with your children, pastors, as they deal with their flock, what happens? People fail. They go astray. They're ignorant. And they do things, and then they do them again and again. And what happens? Often we, in our positions of leadership, would be parent, whether it be you know, a teacher or maybe at work or even a pastor in the church, people come, and you know what? You're like, you know, I told you before... And, you know, we can become very angry, just, you know, frustrated with people. And that's a problem. Because if not restrained, a priest is going to become bothered, angered, become apathetic. But what does he say here? The priest is one who can restrain his passions, one who can have compassion. Now, when I think about that word compassion in relating to restraining, uh, restraining passions, I'm reminded of a priest in the Old Testament who did not restrain his passions. You remember that high priest? Book of 1 Samuel? His name was Eli. And do you remember what passion he could not control? His passion for food. Eli was not restrained in his appetites. And Eli, actually, it became his demise when he died. How did he die? He fell backwards off of a chair, and because he was so heavy, it snapped his neck. He broke his neck and died. But Eli was a high priest who was not controlled. He was not controlled in his passions. And what happened? His two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who were also in the priesthood. They were not the high priests, but they worked as priests. They were of the line of Aaron. And they were not restrained in their moral appetites, and they were immoral. And what happened? The Bible says that people began to abhor the offering of the Lord because here were these priests who were not controlled in their passions. Whether it be anger, whether it be appetites or whatever it is, it says here that a priest, he says, who can have compassion, who is restrained, who restrains his emotions, who restrains his passions. And so the high priest must have the ability to deal gently. Because if not restrained, a priest is going to become bothered. He's going to get angry. People keep doing the same thing. He's having to offer for these sins. Why didn't you learn your lesson the last time? No, that's not the attitude that a priest has to have. And they're to have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are deceived, them that are going astray, out of the way. And then it says, why? How can he have compassion on others? Because, it says, 
for that he himself also is beset with weakness or compassed with infirmity. He also is compassed with infirmity. Think about that. Human priests are beset by weakness. They have moral weakness. It's not talking about a physical inability to fight off the common cold. Okay, what he's talking about, they're beset by uh, weakness or compassed with infirmity. They also, human priests, also have moral weaknesses. They are sinners just like the people for whom they are ministering. They are also sinners. Now, we're going to see this in the difference between Christ, our high priest, and earthly high priests. But every high priest has compassion, is to be one who has compassion on those for whom he is ministering because he is like them. Go back to Hebrews chapter 2. Speaking of Christ, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren that he might be what? A merciful and faithful high priest. Now you think, well, wait a moment. Wait a moment. I can see how an earthly high priest could be compassionate because all of these earthly high priests, they were were men, even of the line of Aaron here, though they were appointed by God, they were still sinners. They know that feeling of guilt. They understand the struggle of temptation. And we're in the same boat together. I can see how they could have compassion. And, and, so, and it begs the question, well, how can Jesus, who is sinless, how could he really relate to me? How can he really relate? And that's an honest question. It's a good question, and I think there's a good answer. I think the scriptures are clear about this. But how? How could he... How could he really feel what we feel? Well, what does the scripture tell us? Back in chapter 4, right at the end of chapter 4. It says there in verse 15, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched or cannot sympathize with the feeling of our infirmities. We have not an high priest which cannot. In other words, we have a high priest who cannot help but be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Why? He was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. I heard a preacher describe this in this one. I thought it was well put. There's three aspects to sin. There's first the temptation. There's the first aspect of sin. We're tempted. It's painful. There it is, this temptation. We're drawn. We're we're, we're torn. The lusts of the flesh and the mind knows what it ought to do. And Paul speaks of that type of a struggle there in Romans chapter 7. You know, with my mind, I serve the law of Christ. With the flesh, the law of sin. There's this law. There's this warring going on within me. Okay? Jesus Christ was tempted. The Bible said he was tempted in all points like as we are. 
And we can't completely understand how Christ was tempted. We don't understand the extent to which he was tempted because guess what? None of us have ever lasted that long. You think about it. When you sin, how long did it take from the time of temptation till you gave in? Well, we give in early. And here, you know, the illustration that we have, or at least the, the story that we have given to us in the Gospels of Jesus being tempted 40 days in the wilderness, having not eaten anything, and there he was being tempted by the devil, and we are given a record of the last three temptations. Not all of them. He was led out there to be tempted of the devil. We don't know the extent of the temptation that Jesus dealt with. But did he feel what we feel when we are tempted? He feel the, the temptation, the, the, um, that torturous thing that we go through? Now, we, he was not drawn away of a sinful flesh, but he was tempted in all points like as we are. He wasn't just tempted the 40 days in the wilderness. He was tempted as a young man throughout his life. He endured what we endured. He bore our infirmities. That's the, before we sin, we suffer temptation. After we sin, what do we suffer? Guilt. Guilt. The stress of the, and the weight of the consequences. Now, let me ask you a question. Did Jesus ever experience the guilt and shame that we experience after we have, you know, after we've sinned? Did Jesus ever experience that? Yes, he absolutely did. There he hung on the cross in shame naked before men and how did his father respond turned his back on him because there on the cross the bible said he was made sin for us and there he endured the shame and the guilt not of his own sins but of all of our sins so yes jesus knows the shame and the guilt he was made guilty in our place. He knows that. There's one aspect of sin, though, that Jesus does not know anything about, and that's what happens when we give in to the temptation. How do we feel? Ah, oh, you just, you know, somebody's been pestering and pestering, and finally you just, and there's this release, ah, oh, and it feels good. For a moment. Remember what the Bible says? The pleasures of sin, are they, do they, yes, they please the flesh. For how long? For a season. The pleasures of sin are for a season. That appetite indulged, it, it gratifies the flesh for a moment. And Jesus never experienced that. Jesus came to do his Father's will. He delighted in his Father's will, and he never, he never sinned. He experienced the temptation, and he knows what it is to be tempted. He experienced the shame and the guilt and the rejection of his Father. He understands what we're going through, but praise the Lord, 
he never experienced the pleasures of sin because he never gave in to temptation. And so here, the priest, every high priest, can have compassion. He must be one who has compassion on the ignorant, those who are going out of the way, those who have been deceived, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. So high priests have the ability to deal gently. And then we also see in verse 3, and by reason hereof, or by reason of it, and what would that? Be? What is the hereof referring to? If you don't know, if you've got a pencil and you want to connect it in your Bible, and be, by reason of what? Of hereof, hereof is referring to infirmity or weakness. Because of the priest's own moral weakness, he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. And in fact, we see here that high priests are divinely obligated. They are obligated to offer for sins. In the first verse, it says they are ordained or appointed for men in things pertaining to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. But we find that because these human priests also have moral weakness, that they must first, before they can offer for the sins of the people, they must first offer for their own sins. We find that back in Leviticus. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus, where God gives the instruction for the priests, for their offerings, in Leviticus chapter 9 and verse 6. Leviticus 9, verse 6 And Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord commanded that ye should do, and the glory of the Lord shall appear unto you. Verse 7, And Moses said unto Aaron, Go unto the altar and offer thy sin offering and thy burnt offering, and make an atonement for thyself and for the people, and offering of the people, and make an atonement for them as the Lord commanded. And then turn over to verse 8. Chapter 16, Leviticus 16. And if we'll note verse 6. And Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. There, first he is to make atonement for himself and for his household. Then we come down to verses 15 and 16. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. Verse 16, And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And so first, here is Aaron. He's the high priest. He is appointed by God for men to offer gifts and sacrifices, gifts and sacrifices to God on behalf of men because of their sin. But before he can offer for others, he must first take care of himself. 
And that helps him be compassionate. Because every time he offers for the sins of the people, what is he first reminded of? He is first reminded that he too is a sinner. And before he can even offer for the others, he has to first offer for himself. How about that for a constant reminder of one's own sinfulness? Because of this, this is the reason why a priest could be compassionate. Because he is continually reminded of his own sinfulness because every time he offers for the people, he first has to clean up his own account. He first has to offer for himself, then he can offer for the people. Every time the priest offered for others, he had to first offer for himself, and this reminded him of his own sinfulness. But our priest, our great high priest, is without sin. And we'll see the comparison later on as we look, and as the writer of Hebrews continues, he's going to tell us. But Jesus did not have to offer for his own sins. Because then he would continually had to be offering. But he offered one sacrifice forever when he offered himself. The description here given of all priests, by reason hereof, because of his weakness, he ought, or he must, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. And then let us note verse 4. It says, And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. Again, as I mentioned before, you could not just choose, I'd like to be a priest. I've decided that that's the vocation I'm going to seek for my life. I will be a priest. No, you could be a plumber. You could be a farmer. You could be a lawyer. You could be a doctor. Uh, you could do a lot of things, but you could not choose to be a priest. God chose the priest. They were appointed by God. And it's important to remember that because back in the book of Numbers, back in Numbers 16, we see God's response to those who thought anyone could be a priest. In Numbers chapter 16, we read there about Korah. Korah, he was, a, he was one of the sons of Levi. Dathan and Abiram, these were men who were the sons of Reuben. They came from the tribe of Reuben. So Korah, he's from the same tribe as Aaron. Aaron's the high priest, the one appointed by God. And Korah, of the tribe of Levi, but not of the house of Aaron, but Korah and these two other men who weren't even of the tribe of Levi, they were of Reuben, Dathan, and Abiram. They came to Moses and Aaron, and they come up before Moses and 250 princes of the assembly, famous men, well-known, known by name, known by face throughout the congregation. It says here in verse 2, Verse 3, they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. Hey, 
We're all God's people. All of us are holy. What makes you so special? You have appointed yourselves as the leaders. You have appointed yourself as the high priest. We think there should be a democratization of the process. Let's put it up for a vote. We're just as good as you. We put our robe on one leg at a time, just like you do, or whatever they did. You know, here he's making these comparisons. Who do you think you are? Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And so, of course, when Moses heard it, he fell on his face and says, He spake, in verse 5, he spake unto Korah and to all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show you who are his and who is holy. And will cause him to come near unto him. Even him whom he hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. And so he says, all right, you, you 250 princes, Korah, Dathan, Abiram, you guys take censers. And you come and offer. And Aaron will take his censer. And we'll see who God accepts. That'll prove it. And of course, we know what happened. What happened to those men? Well... In verse 21, the Lord, well, verse 20, the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. And they said, Don't, you know, Moses is pleading for the congregation. And the Lord speaks to Moses in verse 23, Speak unto the congregation, saying, Get you up from about the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. You better move away from these people. Get away from them now. And so Moses, in verse 26, speaks to the congregations, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch not of theirs, lest ye be consumed in all their sins. And so the people got away from Korah, Datham, Abiram. What happened? Well, we know what happened. The earth opened up. Verse 31, it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, Moses was speaking, the ground clave asunder that was under them, the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up, their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods. They and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. And then, not only that, in verse 35, there came out a fire from the Lord, out of the tabernacle, out of the holy place, came a fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 men that offered incense. Boom. Immediately burnt up. And there, there were 250 censers laying on the ground in the midst of all these burnt bodies. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying in verse 37, Speak unto Eliezer, the son of Aaron the priest, that he take up the censers out of the burning, and scatter thou the fire yonder, for they are hallowed. The censers of these sinners against their own souls, let them make broad plates for a covering of the altar, for they offered them before the Lord, therefore they are hallowed. And they shall be a sign unto the children of the Lord, or the children of Israel. Yes, they offered them before the Lord, so they're separated unto God. You take those censers, you beat them into plates of metal, and put them on the altar. Well, you talk about a, a continual memorial. And they forgot what happened. You that metal on the altar? Hey, kids, let me tell you about what happened. Yeah, I know, it's way before your time. And there was a memorial, 250, who thought that just anyone could be priest. And if that wasn't bad enough, what did the children of Israel do? Oh, well, they got upset. Verse 41, but on the morrow, all the congregation of 
the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, Ye have killed the people of the Lord. Wow, that's quite an accusation. Moses and Aaron, look what you did. I'm I'm sure Moses think, wait a minute. We didn't open up the earth and swallow people. We didn't light a match and burn up 250 men all at once. You're blaming us? I mean, I'm sure Moses had this thought go through his head. What? The children of Israel, in their rebellion, they came out and said, you know, they still haven't learned. And you know, this is the one thing. where The scripture talks about Moses being the meekest man. You talk about Moses. Moses acted as a priest there before Aaron was installed as a high priest. And Moses was one who had compassion, did he not? He had compassion on these people. But the high priest, so did Aaron. Here he was. And so um, they complain. And it came to pass when the congregation was gathered against Moses and Aaron that they looked toward the tabernacle of the congregation, and behold, the cloud covered it. And Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the congregation, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Get you up from among this congregation, that I may consume them as in a moment. And what did they do? They mediated. They fell on their faces. They fell on their faces. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer. And put fire therein from off the altar and put it, put in incense and go quickly unto the congregation and make an atonement for them. For there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague is begun. Aaron, you're the mediator. Get the incense and get out there. Get between them and the tabernacle. The plague has already begun. You must offer gifts and sacrifices for sins and do it now. I mean, there's urgency here. And by the time he got there and the plague was stayed, 14,700 Israelites lay dead on the ground because of the plague. Verse 48, and he stood between the dead and the living and the plague was stayed. Now they that died in the plague were 14,700 beside them or in addition to those who had died about the matter of Korah. And Aaron returned unto Moses unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the plague was stayed. And you've got to just know, those men were weeping. Can you imagine? What a horrible thing. And here were these, but you know, here's what the scripture says. It says, and no man, no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. And then we'll go on next week, and as we look at even the next verse, and so, look at the verse, verse 5 says, So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest. Jesus didn't say, I will be a high priest. Who appointed Jesus as high priest? God the Father, and this verse tells us that it says, So also Christ glorified him not glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. He, and this is what the verse is saying, he is the one that appointed Jesus Christ as our high priest. Jesus Christ has been appointed by the Father. He did not glorify himself to be called a priest, a high priest. No. Who did? 
He that said, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. He is the one who appointed Jesus Christ as our great high priest. And we'll continue looking at this next week. We'll continue on this passage. But here, Jesus is both man and God. And we've already seen, like it said in chapter 2, he was made human that he might suffer, that he might die. And it became him, or it behooved him, it was fitting for him to be made like unto his brethren in all things, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, not to get God to compromise, but to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. So this is the description here of the priest. And of course, the wonderful thing about this, this whole mediator position, who made it up? Was it man thinking, hey, we've got to find a way to get to God? No. When man thought he needed to get the way to God, what did he do? He built the Tower of Babel. When man thought he needed to get a way to get to God, what did he do? Develop a code of, of works and of righteousness that might appease the Almighty. The works of the law. And the Bible says, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But the mediator is God's idea. God appointed him. It was God's choice. Look here, it's the party that was offended that has prepared and provided for our reconciliation. Huh, isn't that wonderful? It is God reaching out to man. It is God making a way for man to be reconciled. God loves us. We don't deserve that. What do we deserve? We deserve God to just wipe us out and start over. And he says those words to Moses over and over through the Old Testament wanderings about the children of Israel. And that is for our learning. And what do we see Moses doing? Offering sacrifices, gifts and sacrifices, going to appease God. It was God's design. God has made a way for us to be reconciled to him and that is through the person of the man, Christ Jesus. He is the only mediator between God and man. And let us be thankful for that. And I hope that this helps you as you read through chapter 5 and as we start entering into this aspect of Jesus Christ, our great high priest. And we'll see the comparison here between his priesthood compared to the Aaronic priesthood, that priesthood which was to end, that priesthood which was not complete, that really could not offer full forgiveness, that priesthood that was involved with animal sacrifices. And we'll see the superiority of Jesus Christ as our high priest, the superiority of, superiority of his sacrifice, the superiority of the temple in which he serves, in which he operates in heaven. So I trust that you'll continue to study, to read, and be blessed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for 
our great high priest, Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we look at these different qualifications, these things that were true of all high priests, Lord, may it make us so thankful for our great high priest who became a man like us, who suffered like us, so that he might be merciful and faithful. And Lord, it's it's so reassuring to know that he indeed is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Lord, that he was tempted like we are yet without sin. So may we come boldly. May we not fail to come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.